All right, men, if you're staying up here for this session, let's all gather in and gather as close as you can to the front. It makes it a lot easier for the preacher the closer you sit to the front. Amen? It's easier for the preacher to see your smile, okay? That's right. Amen? So glad you guys are here. And uh, if you want the sermon preparation class, go downstairs. But otherwise, stay on up here, men, and uh, prepare to be blessed, all right? I like it when you sit close. I had vocal cord cancer two years ago, three years ago, and uh, had my vocal cord shaved off. Uh, but my church likes to sit as far away from me as possible still. I don't know why that is. I don't know why they won't move forward, knowing that I have to project my voice and put extra effort into it. So thank you for being more merciful than they are. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 23. There's notes, or sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 21. There's notes going around there. What's a men's conference without talking about David's mighty men? Am I good? Can you just step back? I would love to. Sorry about that. No problem. It's still not working. Can we move over? How's that? Better here? Good. All right, so we want to talk about church relationships that work, building a band of brothers and being able to work together as a team in the church. Um, how many guys that are in this room right now had something to do with this conference, putting it together? Anybody here, they all go downstairs and learn how to preach. That's good, too. All right, so years from now, you might remember this conference and maybe bits and pieces of what was talked about here, but for the majority of guys that were involved in this conference, they're going to remember the work of the ministry that went into putting this conference together. It's the same with uh, the things that you do at your church, church, your home church, and uh, the things that you get involved in there. A lot of times, it's not the messages that re we remember. It's the work that was put into that project that really sticks with us. We remember working with the guys that, that helped put it together, remember the teams that were there, remember the, the joy that was in. You might not remember the sermon. You might not even remember the, the preachers that were at a conference, but you remember that you put the work into doing that, and it blessed you. right? So one of the greatest things as Christians, one of the greatest things that identifies us with Christ and, and makes us conform to his image is the fact that he was a servant. Right? He was a servant above all things. He took upon himself the form of a servant, the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2. So if we're a Christian and we don't take upon ourselves the form of a servant, we're falling short in a very important part of, of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We should be servants of Jesus Christ. So a lot of times the work of the ministry is one of the greatest rewards you'll walk away with, one of the, the most important things that you'll remember and think about. We talked about Nehemiah this morning and how they strengthened their hands for that big work of rebuilding the wall. And uh, during uh, COVID time, uh, from about March until uh, a little bit uh, past April, well, mid-March to April, uh, at our church, we built a pavilion outside, a 30 by 40 uh, foot pavilion uh, for picnics and, and just a, a wonderful thing. That took us about 52 days to build, which we thought was cool because it took Nehemiah 52 days to build the wall. We just thought that was cool afterwards. Uh, but that work of putting that thing together brought men together, brought men together to, to build that, and it was a joy to do that. And over the past 10 years, we're not a huge church, but over the past 10 years, we've put about $150,000 into projects that have been done in and around the church grounds, most of it done in-house, right? Big projects, but most of it done in-house by a band of brothers that was willing to, to, to get involved, willing to put the work together. So that's what I kind of want to encourage us this morning, is that's the, the work of the church, being a servant for God and trying to find our spot in uh, the place of, of work and the place of business, whether it's your vacation Bible school that you do here, or you do a fall fest, or you do uh, revival services, whatever it might be, finding your place to serve in those things. So the notes that you have there, I want to uh, 
we'll start by looking at 2 Samuel chapter 21, and then we'll dive into these notes here. In 2 Samuel chapter 21, and starting in verse 15, the Bible says, Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel, and David went down and his servants with him, and fought against the Philistines, and David waxed faint. In Ishbibanab, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, succored him, and smote the Philistine, and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachiah the Hushathite slew Saph, which was one of the sons of the giant. And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines, wherein Elhanan, the son of Jeroboam, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, uh, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was yet a, a battle in Gath, where was a man of great stature that had on every hand six fingers, and on every foot six toes, four and twenty in number, and he was also born to the giant. And when he defied, defied Israel, Jonathan the son of Shemaiah, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath, and fell by the hand of David, and by the hand of his servant. So we see this battle with giants here. It's kind of towards the end of, of David's life. This is recorded. David is older in his age. He's the one that slew the first giant, right? Goliath, uh, he uh, fought uh, the Philistines and fought uh, Goliath there in that battle. But towards the end of his life, there's more giants, family of Goliath. And somebody needed to fight those guys, and somebody needed to take care of those guys. And in this uh, text, we see that enumerated for us, or delineated for us, of, of what would happen there. Before we get to that, I want us to kind of look at an introduction here about some principles of work at the church. You see in your notes there what's often known as the Pareto principle, right? The 80-20 rule. How many people have heard that, the 80-20 rule? 80% of, of people doing 20, or 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, right? That rule states that 80% of outcomes come from 20% of causes, meaning if you have a business that 80% of your income probably comes from 20% of your customers, right? But in a church setting, this might mean that 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work or 20% of the people are doing all the work while 80% of the people are not engaged at all, right? So there's a small group of people doing the great work and most of the people aren't involved much at all. And that's obviously a, a ratio that you would like to change. Um, a better ratio may be something like 30, 40, 30. And that's what we've tried to adopt at Old Liberty uh, in talking about that. Pastor uh, Harness last night was talking about the idea of just trying to find one thing and doing it well, right? So just get involved, find an area to get involved. So uh, I read a book years ago uh, that talked about changing your ratio, changing that ratio. And, and we kind of settled upon this ratio for Old Liberty, 30, 40, 30. So what does that mean? Well, it means that 30% of the people are in a pre-service position. Everybody say pre-service position. What do you think that means? That means you're doing nothing, right? You're just sitting on the pew. You show up, you sit there. That's a pre-service position. You're not doing any work. You're there as a spectator. You're not getting involved. You're not uh, doing anything uh, for the church. Uh, you're a number, which is good. If there's nobody to preach to, preachers look like idiots. So it's good that you're there uh, to be preached to for, the, for that purpose. But as far as the work of the church, is not getting done. So 30% of the people are in a pre-service position. Number two, 40% of the people are serving an hour a week at the church. So these individuals are finding something to do at the church. Now this could be your choir, this could be your door greeters, this could be a, a cook or a cleaner, a, a piano player, offerings, uh, whatever it might be, but you're finding something to get involved with an hour a week at the church. Maybe it's door knocking or soul winning, something you're doing for an hour a week at the church. So 40% of the people are doing that, and then 30% of the people uh, become actively involved in serving at least one major church activity or event. So something like this, 
Uh, you're involved in trying to, to make sure everything's ready for this conference or for a revival service or for a missions conference or a vacation Bible school or for a fall activity, whatever it might be. You're you say uh, at least once a year, Pastor, you've got all of me. I'm going to be there for that event. I'm going to work for that. So a 30-40-30 ratio, 30%. You think of a church of 100 people. 30 people are just sitting there. They just show up on Sundays. 40% are trying to be involved an hour a week at the church. The other 30% say, when the big things come, Pastor, you've got me. Uh, I love this activity. I'm going to be fully involved in that. You can count on me 100%. So that gets people involved. It, it gives you a place to be involved. I also want us to see the ladder of leadership there. This is something that uh, we've tried to adopt at Old Liberty also. Uh, this comes from a book by David Marquette. He was a captain of a submarine and uh, he wrote a book about turning the ship around. And he has this leadership ladder, and you kind of see how it, it progresses there. You start with the idea of tell me what to do, right? So you're just there, and you're a pastor. I'm available, which is the best ability is availability, right? So I'm available, pastor. What do you want me to do? Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. And the pastor can find places for you. Well, that's a good spot, but that means that the pastor has an additional job of trying to find stuff for you to do. So we rise up the ladder, we get to the next step, and that is I see. So now you're actually paying attention to the ministry. You're starting to see things that need to be done. I see that the carpet needs to be vacuumed. I see that these windows need to be washed. I see that uh, the, the uh, sidewalk needs to be shoveled. So now you're seeing things. The next level up from that is I think. I think here's how we can address that problem of the lump in the carpet in the entryway. Or here's how I think we can address the problem of the leaky sink in the, in the ladies' room. And now you're thinking about solutions to the problem. You see how you're progressing. You went from just tell me what to do I'm starting to notice things. Now I'm starting to plan on how to, to figure out some things, which leads up to the next step, which is I would like to, right? So this is, I would like to do uh, some painting at the church. If, Pastor, if you could get me the paintbrushes, if you could get me the paint, if you could get me some tape, if you could show me exactly what you want me to do, if you could even cut in a little bit, I'll roll it when you're done. But this is, I would like to do this. If you could get me the things, then I will do that, Right? Here's where it would be great if most people in the church could get to. That's the next step, I intend to. Right? And by intend to, it's, Pastor, I intend to paint the entryway this week. I've got the paintbrushes. I've got the paint that we agreed upon. I've got all the equipment. I'm going to be here. I'll get it done, and it'll be done by Sunday. Right? It's an intention that here, I've got everything ready. I intend to do it, and the pastor just gets to say, make it so. Go ahead and do it. That's great. I appreciate the help. Go ahead and do that. The level above that is when you've been given a ministry, right? So you're in charge of a particular ministry. And here you're working at I've done, at the level of I've done. Pastor, I've done this, I've accomplished that. I know what my job description is and what I'm supposed to do. I've done this, I've done that, I've done this. And you're doing those things and accomplishing those things. Then finally, the top level is I've been doing. This is a level of leadership. Right? This is where leaders should be in the church. In our church, this is where our deacons are at, this level of leadership, where I've been doing. Right? I have no idea what they've been doing. I know that they've been doing it. I know that it's getting done because that's what they do. Right? We have one deacon, Brother Greg. He's uh, very much focused on the spiritual and physical needs of the church. Right? If there's a filter that needs to be changed, if there's something that needs to be fixed, if there's something that needs, he's there, it's getting done. He doesn't need to report to me, here's all the things that I've gotten done. He's just getting them done. Right? That's a wonderful letter level of leadership to be at. Our deacon, the other deacon is the treasurer, right? He's responsible for the financial and spiritual needs of the church, right? So he's just getting the finances done in the church. I have no idea what's going on. He doesn't have to report to me. Well, obviously through business meetings, but it's not like I'm following up with him saying, hey, did you get the deposit done this week? Have you done this? Have you, have you counted everybody? Have you gotten everybody's tax things, right? He's at a level of leadership where I've been doing, it's what I do, and you can trust me with it. And it would be great as many men as possible to get to that level of leadership in the church. But that I intend to level is a wonderful 
uh, level for us to, to shoot for. Pastor, I intend to do this. I have everything prepared for it. I'm going to do it on this day and let the pastor say, go ahead and accomplish that. So that's what we're striving for. So how do we get there? Inside your notes there, how to take your place among the band of brothers. Number one, get to know and become passionate about your pastor's vision and his ministry philosophy. Figure out who your pastor is. Right? The only way you can do that is to have conversations with your pastor. Know who your pastor is. Know what he's passionate about. Know what he's trying to get done. Right? Obviously, we're all trying to get done the same thing. Bring the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world and to our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. That's what our, our goal is. But every pastor does that a little bit differently. Right? Every pastor has a specific joy uh, that they're focused on, a specific passion that they're interested in. So find out what your pastor's vision is and find out what his ministry philosophy is. How does your pastor like to involve people in the work of the Lord? What is the way that he likes to do it? So we see in our text, moreover, the Philistines had yet, circle the words, war again, there in your notes. They had yet war again with Israel, and David went down and his servants with him, and circle the word fought against the Philistines, and David waxed, circle the word faint. So there was war again. This was David's deal, right? This, we know that David was a warrior king. That he is the one that expanded the borders of Israel. That he was a warrior. And that's why God told him that he wasn't going to be able to build the temple of the Lord. Because he had blood on his hands because he was a warrior king. His son Solomon, his son of peace, was going to build the temple. So what was David good at? He was good as a, as a warrior. He was good at expanding the borders of the, the nation. And he fought. But he's one man, right? And one man can't do all the fighting. So what, what do we find in this verse here? He waxed what? Faint, right? He couldn't do all the work himself. And the work that he was engaged in, the work that he was passionate about, he began to get tired in that. Look at the next verse there. It's 1 Samuel 22, 1 and 2. It says, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Dulam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in, circle the word, distress, and everyone that was in, circle the word, debt, and everyone that was, circle the word, discontented, gathered themselves unto him, and he became a, underline the word, captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. So these men, knowing that they had a need, went to this cave at Adullam and found David and made David a captain over them. Now, obviously, our great captain is Jesus Christ, our Savior. He's the captain of our faith, right? He is the one that we put our trust in. But God has given each church an under-shepherd, somebody who is to be the vision carrier and the one who is going to give accountability for your souls before God. That, that's his responsibility. So there's a captain there in your church. And these men, knowing that they were in debt, knowing that they were discouraged, knowing that they were discontented, knowing that they were broken people, just like broken David, who was in exile and a refugee, knew that he was going to be their captain, so they pledged his allegiance to them. That's a great step for us to make as we enter into our church. That, Lord, I want to serve in your church, and Lord, I know that you put this man as the leader of our church. I want him to be my captain, and I want to follow after him. I want to know what he's passionate about. I want to know what drives him. I want to know how our church is going to reach the world differently from the way that maybe another church is focused on reaching the world. And I want to be passionate about that. So, uh, number one there, David went to fight. Circle the word fight there. That was what David was doing. That's what we're doing. We are engaged in a spiritual battle. We are engaged for the souls of this world. Pastor Rob talked about it last night. Fighting for somebody's soul. Not just encountering somebody as a, as a person, but knowing that there's a soul, that there's a spirit there, more accurately, in that person that needs to be saved, that needs to be regenerated, right? But David grew faint. He was weakened by the amount of work that needed to be done. So the question number three, what is your pastor passionate about? 
What is your pastor passionate about? Think about that for a moment. Can anybody take a guess at what their pastor is passionate about? And we won't check your answers, so go ahead, and, and if you're completely off base, I won't tell them that, yeah, you, you kind of thought you were trying to go this way. No, that's, you're going a different way. Can you take a guess at what your pastor might be passionate about? What drives him? What is his philosophy of how he wants to reach the world for Christ? What are his passion projects that are deeply connected to his joy and deeply connected to his calling, right? As pastors, as we surrender our lives to the ministry, there's a focus that God has given us, and that's our passion, that's our joy. And when those things are being, when that chord is being struck, it, it, it livens our heart. Can anybody guess? I, I take two men to guess what their pastor's joy might be. Uh, family. family. Yeah, multi-generational faithfulness. Family is a, is a focus. Good job, Fred. I'll pay you later for that. There's a focus at our church, right? We know that everybody needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that everybody can get saved, but we also know and believe that our first grounds of evangelism is our own homes, right? That, that's our homes that, that, that we need to start at. That's our real Jerusalem is our own homes, and it goes out from there. You have more influence over your own house than over anybody else's house, so passionate about family. Anybody from a non-Old Liberty uh, group that can guess? Um, Pastor Dan, uh, he's passionate about seeing people get saved. So get, souls getting saved, just seeing people multiplied for the work of the Lord. So, right, so we want to know what our pastor is passionate about. We want to know what his passion projects is. Hint, your pastor's newest passion project is this meeting, right? He's super jazzed about it, right? And he's going to be super jazzed about it for the rest of the week, right? The devil's going to try to attack him in a thousand different ways, but he knows that the Lord has blessed him with this thing, right? So this is a passion project. So when this comes around, I like it when uh, it was announced downstairs uh, yesterday that the first annual men's uh, renewal conference, right? That means pastor's going to get interested about this, next about this time next year towards the end of, of, of this coming year, and what are you going to do? You're going to say, pastor... What can I do? I want to be a part of that work because I know it's your passion. You might be interested in your own things, but this is what the pastor of your church is interested in. Get behind him. Don't be in opposition to him like Tobiah. Get in line with him. So the next question there is, how does your pastor like to involve help? Right? Because every pastor is different in how they like to involve help. Some people, pastors, are, don't call me, I'll call you, right? You sit there, and I'll give you a responsibility. Some pastors are, you go ahead and do that, just run it by me. Some pastors are, here's your ministry, go and do that. A good thing to do is to find out how your pastor wants to engage you in the work and run with that principle, embrace that principle. Because we're all men, we all have opinions, they're all things we, we all want to get done, but where's the vision of the church going and how do we get involved in that vision. So a good question to ask your pastor, how do you like to involve help? Right? That leadership ladder is a great way to get involved. How does your pa what's your pastor's comfort comfort level with that? Right? He he might not be ready for you to be at the intend to phase where you're just showing up at church, pastor, I'm intend to do this. No, that's we don't want that done yet, right? So find out what his comfort level is with that. So the first thing, get to know and become passionate about your pastor's vision and his ministry philosophy. He is your captain for a reason. Number two, learn to fight shoulder to shoulder with other men, right? This is where I talked, like I talked about, the men that put this conference together are going to have a remembrance of that time of work for, for years to come. The Bible says in uh, 2 Samuel 21, 15, and David went down and underlined, and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. So David went down and his servants went with him, right? We're all servants, right? As pastors, we're supposed to be servant leaders. Our job is to serve the congregation. The congregation is supposed to serve God. We're all servants together. 
So when they went down, the servants went with them. They fought shoulder to shoulder. I like this story in 2 Samuel chapter 10 where it says, Joab saw that the front of the battle was against him before and behind. So he's surrounded before and behind the battles there. He chose all of the choice men of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he delivered in the hand of Abishai, his brother, that he might put them in array against the children of Ammon. And he said, if the Syrians underline, be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon underline, too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. Be of, uh, be of good courage and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God and the Lord to do that which seemeth good. So you see what, what uh, uh, Joab has done here. The battle is before and behind. So he takes his men and he separates them. And he gives half to Abishai. He says, Abishai, if you see me and I need trouble, you come help me. If I see you and you need trouble, I'm going to come help you. Right? We're going to work together in this. We're going to fight together in this. The only way we're going to win this battle is if we fight shoulder to shoulder in this battle. Number one in your notes there, some of the best relationships are made shoulder to shoulder, not face to face when it comes to relationships with other men. Right? When it comes to relationships with women, those relationships are made face to face. Right? It's intimate. You're staring up into each other's eyes, right? You're telling each other, bearing your soul to each other and speaking of those wonderful things. And, and it's a face-to-face -face intimate relationship. But the deepest relationships you're going to have with other guys will often start shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder and not face-to-face. -face. When you're working alongside somebody else, it knits your heart together. You become a band of brothers in the job that you're doing, right? So when you're digging a ditch together, when you're building something together, when you're mopping a floor together, when you're painting a room together, right? The camaraderie, the joking, the, the insight, the, the wisdom, all of those things come alive when you're working together with another man, right? It's different from a face-to-face -face relationship that you have with a woman where that intimacy comes from discovering each other first, right? And then you might do things later together, whereas a relationship with a man oftentimes is shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder first, working hard together first, learning about each other first, and then it grows uh, different from there. Number two, working alongside brothers in Christ builds relationships, right? I see guys all the time that are like, oh, I just have nobody in my life. I feel so lonely. I can't, I come to church and it just doesn't seem to be anybody to talk to. Oh, work day is going to be on Saturday. We'd love for you to show up. Oh, can't do that, right? And they've never showed up for a work day in 25 years of, of ministry, right? Yet they can't find a friend, right? The Bible tells us that if we want to have friends, we must show ourselves what? Friendly. Friendly, right? And part of that is being in a band of brothers to get the work done. That's how men develop relationships. Whether you're shooting shoulder to shoulder, whether you're digging shoulder to shoulder, whether you're fighting shoulder to shoulder, is when we're working together that our hearts get knit together and then we'll die for each other, right? You get a good friend, he'll give you a, a, a liver, right? He'll give you a kidney. He'll, he'll be there for you uh, to help you out. Number three trying to move as quickly as possible through this. Learn how to fight on your own, right? So it's good for you to volunteer to work with other men, but it's also good for you to be involved in projects where other men want to get involved and work with you, right? If you're just the guy that shows up all the time, that's great, that's reliable, that's loyalty, that's dependable, but when you've got your own things going on, now people are getting involved in what you're interested in, what you're passionate about, what uh, drives you. So it's not just about you only working when, okay, the work has been set up and you show up, but also when, okay, here's what I'm doing and other people come alongside you, right? It, it deepens the relationship and it develops it even more. We see this in the, in the text in 2 Samuel 22 and verse 17 where it says, but Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, suckered him, right? And what does that Bible word suckered mean there? Helped him. It helped him. It came alongside him and helped him, supported him. So 
Abishai saw that David was, had his hands full with this giant, that he was going to lose this battle. So Abishai showed up and said, hey, David, you've showed up for me many times. I was in debt, I was discontented, I was in distress, and you became my captain. You've been with me and for me since the day that we got together. This time, David, I'm going to come and work, work alongside you. I'm going to come, and I'm going to do this job for you. I'm going to slay this giant for you. So the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt no, go, go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. They said, as a matter of fact, David, you stay home. You're too important. We're going to do this work and accomplish it together as a band of brothers. So how do we do that? Number one, intentionally work your way up the ladder of leadership from tell me what to do to I have been doing in connection with your pastor's philosophy of ministry, with his level of comfort, right? How does he want you to progress up that ladder of leadership. We'd all like to get to that point at least where I intend to. I know what my responsibilities are. I, I see things that need to get done at the church. Pastor, I intend to do this on such and such state. Here's the materials that, that I've got for it. Uh, show me exactly uh, the, the scope that you want me to do and I will accomplish it for you so that I, I intend to level. Number two, do not work solo for your own personal gain or glory, but in support of God's kingdom and his local church. Right? Sometimes as guys, our ego gets the best of us. We find ourselves doing things finding other people not doing things, and then we get depressed and discouraged again because we're thinking, well, where's my glory, right? I'm doing all this work. I should be just swimming in mountains of glory because of all this work. But our glory is in heaven, and God is faithful to reward us for our ministry here on earth and for our ministry to the brethren here on earth. So don't be doing it for your own glory. Do it for the glory of God, and God will glorify you when you get there. We talk about glory at, at Old Liberty, and it's such an important concept because sometimes we don't get the idea of how we're going to be glorified in heaven. And the idea of being glorified means that God's going to recognize you in heaven, right? That the, the worst, one of the worst parts of hell is the fact that the, the individual, the omniscient God who knows everything and is everywhere all at the same time is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you, right? So a person who is everywhere is going to say, depart from me, a person who knows everything is going to say, I never knew you, right? That is the, the, the depths of hell, right? The glory of God and the glory that we, we enjoy in heaven is when we stand before God and he welcomes us into heaven and looks us in the eye and says, well done, my good and faithful servant, right? When God recognizes you and recognizes your work, it's going to thrill your soul, Right? We've often talked about, imagine if you ran into somebody famous, right? And they knew your work, right? Like if I bumped into a, a, a world-famous preacher or something like that, and he's like, oh, yeah, man, I've been listening to you on YouTube. You're, you're just the best, right? What would that do to your soul, right? You would be like, wow, this important person not only knows me, but likes my work, right? Your father in heaven is going to say, I know you, and I like your work, and he's going to reward you for that. So don't worry about the rewards that we get down, the recognition that we get down here. Just do the work, and there's great reward to come. Uh, number three there, let God give the glory as he sees fit. Number four, don't be afraid of giants. Right? As we engage in the work of the Lord, we know that there's going to be some big battles ahead. And this whole chapter here uh, gives us all these different giants. We see Ishbai Banab there, this great big guy. And then there's this other guy in Gath, and he had six fingers on every hand and six toes on, on every foot, 24 in number. It says this big old guy with extra fingers and extra toes. You couldn't get any bigger, right? He's so big, he's busting out of the fingers and toes he's already got. This is a huge guy, right? There are going to be giants that we're going to have to fight. Don't be afraid of the giants. And that's what a mighty man is, right? 
You can't come to a men's conference without talking about the mighty men of God. And when we look at David's mighty men in chapter 23 there, we see Adino was resourceful, right? He slew a whole bunch of guys with a spear, right? Not a mass murder or mass a war type of weapon, but he used a spear, killed a whole bunch of people there. We see Dodo was diligent. Right? He fought so hard that his hand clave to his sword. He wasn't going to get up till the battle was done. He became one with his sword he fought so hard. We see Shama was determined. Right? He got in his little bean patch there and said, I ain't giving this up. I'm going to take a stand, and I'm going to claim this land, and the, the enemy's not going to get any more of this land. We saw the three there that were devoted. They heard David said, I'd like a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. And they said, done. And they took off down to the well of Bethlehem, burst through a garrison, garrison of Philistines, got the water out of the well, and brought it back to David. David was so impressed that he poured it out to God. He wouldn't drink it himself. We saw Abishai was dedicated. He killed a bunch of guys with a spear also. And then we see Benaiah. He was just deadly. He's my favorite, right? Ever study Benaiah? Look at chapter 23, verse 20. This guy's awesome, right? This is the guy that we aspire to be. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 20, the Bible says, And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabziel, who had done many mighty acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab. Right? So these giant Moabite guys, Benai is like, nothing. Kills them both. He went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in the time of snow. Why not? Right? That just sounds like he did that for fun. Like, what am I going to do this afternoon? I don't really have anything. Oh, there's a lion in a pit and it's snowing. Done. Right? And he goes down and he fights a lion in a pit in the time of snow. Like, there couldn't be any more adversity in that sentence, right? Oh, man, there's a pit. Right? Pit. We just talked about pit. That's a bad thing. Oh, there's a lion in that pit. Right? The devil's thinking about whom he may devour. That's a terrible thing. Oh, and it's snowing, too. Mission accomplished. Go in there and get it done. Right? I, I will do it. And then, that's not it. Verse 21. And he slew an Egyptian, a goodly man. And the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down to him with a staff, plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and slew him with his own spear. Killed the guy with his own spear. Right? Benaiah, that's an awesome guy. Deadly guy. But these are guys that aren't afraid to fight the battle, right? And that's who we need to be as Christians. We need to understand that it, the Christian life is not a complacent life, that there is a battle to be fought here and now, that this is our time in redemptive history. We don't have the past that's already done. We have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring because our life is only a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. We have right now to reach the world for Jesus Christ, and we can't afford to be complacent. We have to be lion-like men. We have to be men that are actively involved in the work of the Lord. Things get tough. Things get distracting. Things go on with our lives. Things go on with our health. Things go on with our, our families. Things go on with... But there is a ministry that God has called us to that we need to be interested in. So, mighty man does not hide from big challenges. Number two, your pastor may ask you for help in taking on projects that only the hand of God can help you complete, right? Your pastor is a visionary, and that causes problems. Because he starts seeing things, and God starts putting things on his heart, and he starts getting a burden. That I want to reach this entire community for the lost. I want to see tons of men come into this conference. I want to see us reach out and, and, and disciple uh, homes and families and, and take care of people. I, I want to see these things done, and it just seems like a giant undertaking. And if we were a little sissy men, we would look at that and say, that giant's too big. There's no way you're going to be able to do that, Pastor. There's no way that we're going to be able to reach this community. There's no way that we're going to be able to accomplish that goal. There's no way that we can do that building project. There's just no way. But what does a mighty man do? Your pastor may ask for your help in taking on projects that only the hand of God can help you complete. A mighty man looks at that alongside of his pastor, shoulder to shoulder, and says, that's a big one. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get to work. Let's get it done. Trust God and get to work. And then the final thing that we see there, take your giants one at a time. Right? Fighting giants is exhausting. 
you're trying to fight five giants at once, I don't care how strong you are, you're going to get beat. You're, gonna be, you're not designed to fight five giants at one time. But here's what our text says. It tells us about Ishbi Benab, which was the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels of brass and weight, and he girded with a new sword. He thought to have slain David. Next, and it came to pass after this that there, were again, there was again a battle with the Philistines of Gob, and Sibachai the Hushethite slew Saph, which was one of the sons of the giant. And there was a, again... A battle in God with the Philistines where Elhanan, the son of Jeroboam, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath the Gittite, uh, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was yet a battle in Gath, and there was a man of great stature that had on every hand six fingers, on every foot six toes, four and twenty in number, and he also was born of the giant. And then with the original, and there went out a champion of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. It's a lot of different giants. Did they line them up and fight them all at once? No. One giant at a time. Right? Your pastor's going to want to take on visionary projects. He's going to want to accomplish great things for the Lord. You want to accomplish great things for the Lord. That's not just a pastor thing. That's every Christian gets that burden to want to do good things for God, do big things for God. But we know that we can't fight all the giants at once. We need to take them one at a time. So what are the principles? Number one, the, wor- the work of the Lord is indeed immense. It's giant. It's a giant work that we're given. That we're to share the gospel with Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. They were to go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a big job to do. The work of the Lord cannot be accomplished all at once, right? Go, do it, right? We can't get it all done today, right? We can't evangelize the whole world today. We can't disciple every family today. We can't do everything that we'd like to do today. It can't be accomplished all at once. Third, the work of the Lord cannot, cannot be accomplished by one man. Oh, pastor, your vision is to reach the entire world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Go get them! Good luck. We'll have the church warm when you get back. We'll make sure the pews are, are warm when you get back. Right? That's not the way that we want to fight that battle. Right? It can't be done by one man. Number four, the work of the Lord is to be done by a band of brothers that trust in the Lord and desire to see his name and his kingdom glorified. When one man catches fire and starts working alongside another man, then other men catch fire and start gaining that group. And then before you know it, more and more people are coming to this cave and more and more people are getting behind the captain and more and more of the work of the Lord is getting done. Right? The more that you can support that work, the more it's going to be accomplished. Number five, don't quit the work. Quit you like men. Right? And that's a phrase that's used over and over in the, bottle, in the Bible and it means act like a man. Act like a man. Right? That is politically incorrect to say today. Right? You can't tell anybody to act like a man. You can't even assume that somebody is a man. You have to ask first. Right? That is not biblical, brothers. Quit you like a man. The Bible is very clear. Act like a man. What is a man? What is masculinity? Right? Masculinity is not the hobbies that we do. It's not the music that we listen to. It's not the, 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 the jobs that we accomplish. Masculinity is accepting responsibility and acting appropriately. That's what God has given us to do as the leaders in our home, as the servants in his church, as men that are supposed to come behind our captain and serve him, what is my responsibility and how do I act appropriately? The 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Watch ye, stand stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. So watch, stand fast in the faith. If you get knocked out of the faith, you're no good on the team. Stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, act like a man, and be strong. 
right? accomplish those things that God wants us to accomplish. So building a band of brothers means that having relationships in the church that get things done. Right? One of the, the greatest things is, hey, when's our next work project? Because I can't wait to get together with you guys and do something. Right? Fun activities are fun. Entertainment activities are entertaining. But work activities are getting the work of God done. And we want to gather around those activities and say, Pastor, what can I do? How can I do it? Put me in, Coach. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it is. Uh, we thank you for this band of brothers that we see in the scriptures here, these mighty men of David that fought valiantly alongside of him. Uh, and then when the work was too great for him, dear God, they stepped in and did the work themselves. We ask you, dear God, to help us all be able servants, servants for you, dear God. Whatever it is our place is, whatever our passion might be, uh, that we can just serve you with a whole heart, that we can get in the line with the man of God that you've put in, in front of us, dear God, and, and serve after him, and that we look forward to the many rewards in heaven uh, that you'll shower upon us, dear God, even though that's not why we do these things. We know that you're so good that even though you don't have to reward us, you promise that you will. We just thank you for all the, the grace and the glory that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you very much. That was great. Thank you, Pastor Persons. And I appreciate a man who cared enough about building a brand of brothers to serve us this week, even with his health concerns. Um, I heard, I think uh, I personally invited about 100 men to the meeting, and I heard about 100 excuses. None of them were that good. I had a heart attack still came 